My name is Andrew Garcia, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And today we're starting the first part of a two-part series called Who Needs Christmas? And I believe one of the most challenging things about Christianity actually is the Christmas story. Right? Like there's, there's so much about Jesus' birth that makes Jesus' story kind of miraculous and, and really just remarkable. And, and because there's so many incredible, really amazing, unbelievable things, um, I get that some people just kind of, kind of just don't believe it. They just don't get it. They can't wrap their mind around it. Like a lot of people believe that Jesus was a nice guy. Like historically, he existed. Most people don't deny that. Um, but, but a lot of other stuff about what he did and who he was was probably just a myth, you know, to give, you know, to give Christians some street cred, right? And, and, and maybe like the gospels, like some of the gospel writers, they just can't seem to get their story straight. Like if you look at, you know, Matthew and Luke, they gave an account of Jesus's birth, but then we look at Mark and John and it's like, they don't even mention it, right? So, so if we take a step back and we look at the Bible more holistically and we see it supported by outside characters and events. We begin to see this beautifully woven picture that, that though it, it doesn't appear perfect and that though there are some miraculous, seemingly impossible stories, it, it begs us to explore with our mind to begin to see history as his story. And so even as unbelievable as the birth narratives are and as unbelievable as some of the accounts are that are found in, in Matthew and Luke, when you get the backstory. When you get the whole story, right, the, the story of Christmas actually becomes a remarkable story. Right? And because the story of Christmas doesn't actually begin with a couple who's trying to figure out how in the world they got pregnant, right, it actually begins with a couple who, 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 who are trying to figure out or try, are worried that they're never going to, to get pregnant. It doesn't begin with a couple who's trying to figure out where they're going to have a baby. It begins with a couple who are worried that they're never actually going to have a baby. And so it's the backstory of Christmas that makes the Christmas story so incredibly remarkable. And it doesn't begin with angels announcing a birth in Matthew or Luke. It actually begins with God making a promise in Genesis. And, and it's not just any promise. Right? It's really an unbelievable, incoherent, meaning that the person that was receiving this promise, he couldn't have possibly understood what it meant. Like it was just kind of, it seemed a little out there. So it was an unbelievable incoherent, impossible promise. And on the surface, it was absolutely impossible for it to come true. And yet, it's this promise that sets up the events around Christmas. And in fact, it's this promise that makes the story of Christmas so remarkable and really so believable. And the story around the birth of Jesus that makes the birth of Jesus so believable. So this promise was made about 2,000 years before Jesus was born. In fact, we, we, we estimate that it's probably around 2090 BC, and it's found in the book of Genesis. So if you're new to church, or maybe you're, you're, you've kind of been out, and you're coming back, or you just have like a thing with the Bible, don't think about it as the Bible. Think about it as a book or a document that the Jews entitled Genesis, right? That's over 3,000 years old, and a lot of people would even say it's a little bit older than that. So, so it's this document called Genesis that tells us how the Jewish nation began, right? And it's, it was so important to the Jewish people that they copied it meticulously, and they were super intentional about handing it down. And it became eventually a part of Jewish literature, which eventually would become Jewish scripture, and it would eventually find its way with other documents and come part, become part of the New Testament, and lo and behold, we have a Bible, 
But it's important to understand that, that the Bible didn't create Genesis. Rather, Genesis was created and ultimately became part of the Bible. So, so it's in this document, this ancient, ancient Jewish document that we know as Genesis, Genesis, that we find this extraordinary, really unbelievable, incoherent promise that, that God made to a man named Abram, who we know as Abraham. So this is how Christmas began. And the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Now, we're not exactly sure why God chose Abraham, just like we're not sure why God chose Mary or Joseph, right? But he tells Abraham, I want you to leave everything you know, right? And this is very, very dangerous because safety and security in ancient times are all about your family, your clan, right? What, what you were comfortable with and what you knew, right? Your, your tribe and your relatives. And so he's asking him to do something super risky. He's saying, I want you to leave everything that you know, and I'm going to take you to a place that I'm not going to tell you about, until we get there, right? And, and then he gives him the promise, the carrot at the end of the stick. He says to Abraham, and I will make you into a great nation. Now, you miss the humor of this if you don't understand that at this point, Abraham is actually 75 years old, right? He, he doesn't have any children, right? And so he's thinking to himself, a great nation? Really? Like, that's no way, bro, not, not possible, you know, maybe we could just start with great-grandfather, like that, that would do, but great nation, I don't know about that. But the promise continues. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Which means he's, he's telling Abraham, bro, I'm gonna make you IG famous. You're on the up and up, right? Things are gonna, are gonna work out for you. Everybody's gonna know your name. To which he's probably like, bro, if I leave everyone I know, everything I know, more than likely, It'll be as if I never existed. But the promise continues. And you will be a blessing. Now Abraham at this point is floored. Like he, he's speechless because people don't call the Old Testament the bloody Bible for nothing, right? Like, like it was in, in ancient times, this is a time of extraordinary, extraordinary violence, right? People didn't bless other people. And come on, like if you believe in God, like you've had to work on the character of God at this point in your, in your faith because it brings into question, you know, who God really is when you read the Old Testament with all the violence and bloodshed because people weren't in the habit of blessing other people. But yet God says to Abraham, you're going to be a blessing. And then he tells him, look, I'm telling you, nothing is going to get in the way of this happening because I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. In other words, Abraham, I'm going to be so a part of your story and the people that follow your story, right, your children and your children's children and their children, that I'm going to be part of this story until we see it through to completion and nothing Nothing is going to stop it. And then God gets to the, like, way out there, unbelievable, ridiculous promise. And he says this. And all peoples will be blessed through you. In other words, every group of people, every tribe, every place where there's a gathering of families... Right? And they didn't have nations like we think about it nowadays, but, but he's telling them every group of people that speaks the same language, right? Every nation, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That is that all the peoples of the earth will eventually be impacted and touched by your life, Abraham, and the story that I'm about to unfold through it. 
And this was, this was so strange because in this culture, peoples did not bless peoples, right? Nations did not bless nations. Nations conquered you know, each other. Nations enslaved each other. Nations, they, they plundered each other. They weren't in the habit of blessing one another, right? Tribe, tribes and clans, they were at each other's throats. It made absolutely no sense in his culture. And yet, Genesis tells us, Abraham chose to believe the unbelievable. So now we're gonna cut some corners in the story and and if you're Jewish or if you know anything about the Old Testament, then you know that eventually Abraham had Sarah, Abraham and Sarah had a son and his name was Isaac and Isaac had had a son. In fact, there's a whole family tree so we're gonna throw up a little visual for you and it's, you know, hard to see. So just imagine Right, we're gonna, so, so, so Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. And, and in fact, Isaac actually has two sons, Esau and Jacob. And, and to get to Jesus, we should actually be seeing Esau's name. But, but Jacob, bro, Jacob's a sly sucker. Like you ever have a kid that's just like the manipulative, manipulative one? Like that's, that was Jacob, right? And so he steals his brother's birthright. And, and there's so much family dysfunction and chaos here that you should actually just go back and read it for yourselves. Like, you're going to feel so much better about your children and, you know, your, your grandparents and your parents and your adolescent years. Like, because it was unbelievable that Jacob just took it out from under his brother. Because if he didn't, then Esau's name would be there instead. And it's kind of funny because one of the most ironic things to me about the Holy Bible is it's filled with a bunch of unholy people. Right, the pages are littered with it. Like the second that man stepped onto the scene were acts of disobedience, you know, deceit, jealousy, rage. Like the first set of siblings, their relationship ends in like homicide, you know, one for the team, right? Great way to start off. So, so there's so much dysfunction and chaos, but eventually Jacob has 12 sons and 10 of the sons don't like their brother Joseph, right? Maybe, maybe you've kind of heard this story. So they decide to throw Joseph into a well you know, and they're trying to figure out, you know, do we sell him? Do we kill him? Do we sell him? Do we kill him? Well, if we kill him, then we won't make nothing off of him. Black Friday's coming up. We got to do some shopping, right? Like, like let's, let's sell the guy. And so consequently, the entire family and all of their children and all of their children's children eventually migrate to Egypt, where they do in fact become, as God promised, a nation. But they end up being a nation of slaves. And for several hundred years, the people who came from Abraham that God was supposed to bless the world through are in Egypt as slaves, a slave nation. They're definitely not feeling very blessed, right? And certainly not in a position to bless anyone else. And after hundreds of years, and this is the hard part for us to imagine because of the, of the story, the promise that, that Abraham, the promise that, a, that God made to Abraham was known to these people. They knew that God had promised Abraham that they would be a nation and and now they're a nation and they're looking at each other like, bro, this can't be it. Like like there's there's no way that anything is gonna come true that God promised us. But then God sent a deliverer, Moses. And perhaps you know this part of the story, um, but without telling you the whole story, by the time Moses was done with Pharaoh, by the time Moses was done with Egypt, nobody was feeling pretty blessed by, by the descendants of Abraham. Right? And then they make their way across the Red Sea into the promised land, into the land of Canaan. And, and the inhabitants, the, the Canaanites that live there, well, after a couple encounters, they were like, we don't feel pretty blessed by these people either. 
And again, when, when we read the Old Testament, there's so much violence that we find that it, and so much blood, bloodshed that at times it's, it's so offensive and we think, how in, in the world is it possible that this could be part of the story of God? Right? And the short answer is that what offends us was normal to them. Right? There, there's some things that happen in our world today that you know about that, you're, that, that you've kind of become numb to, even though you have a heart towards it. Right? And this is the same way it was. One of the reasons that we're so offended by all the violence in the Old Testament is this, that you and me, we're on the other side of Christmas. Right, so we see the world in a completely different way, but this was the journey. This, this was how God unfolded the story, the promise that he made to Abraham. So about a thousand years go by, and Abraham has a family, and that family becomes a nation, and that nation becomes, as we know it, the kingdom of Israel. And, and it's under King David that peace treaties are begin to be made, right, with the surrounding nations of his part of the world. And, and King David was known like as the warrior king. Right, so, so he settled all the disputes, and suddenly for the first time, the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, were in a position to do something significant in the world. So David is followed by his son Solomon, and Solomon man, was, an extraordinary, was extraordinarily wise, and he's known as one of the richest kings, and, and he's known as the builder king. And Solomon, he just expanded the reach of Israel to such a degree that people from all over the world would come to see the wonders of Solomon's constructions and to listen to, his, to listen to his wisdom and to sit at his feet. And this is where it looked like for the first time Israel could be in a position to be a blessing to the rest of the world. They were wealthy. They had leverage. They were influential. But instead of blessing the world, Solomon chose to marry the daughters of foreign nations and, and other surrounding nations. And not only did he marry their daughters, but then he also chose to begin to worship their God. And as a response, God decided to keep his promise, but not the one he made to Abraham, the one that he made to Solomon. Because he had warned Solomon, if you forsake me, if, if, if you begin to go after other gods, I'm going to divide your nation, and I'm going to tear down the temple that you've built in my name. And sure enough, after Solomon dies, the nation is divided. The kingdom is split. Opportunity lost. In fact, they would never have an opportunity like this again. They would never have this much influence with the surrounding nations again. And so with the nation divided, a divided economy, a divided military, for the next two to three hundred years, we find chaos in both kingdoms. And after about 300 years, the, the northern kingdom ended up being invaded by Assyria. And as you read this in Scripture, the Scripture writer refers to the northern kingdom as Israel. And so the northern kingdom is invaded by Assyria, and Assyria decides to take all of their leading citizens and, and kind of just spread them throughout their Assyrian empire and imports lots of other people. And so what we find is that the northern kingdom just no longer exists, which then leaves us with the southern kingdom, which is known as Judah. And if you read the story in the Old Testament, Judah here is on the verge of implosion. They're on the verge of invasion. And we find that Israel can't even bless herself. Israel is found to not even be able to take care of herself, much less anyone else. But it's in the midst of all of this chaos that as Judah gets ready to be invaded by Assyria, as they watch the world around them change, they're in no position of strength, no position of authority. And right in the midst of that, God sends a prophet, the prophet Isaiah, to speak to the people. 
And he writes down his prophecy. And once again, this prophecy was preserved and has been preserved to where we have it in our English Bibles today. And, and just, just imagine this for a moment. All this chaos is happening around them. All, is, all this lost opportunity. They're on the verge of implosion. They're on the verge of invasion. And then God speaks through Isaiah. And here's what he has to say to the nation. I'm going to do something. I'm sorry. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. That my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That I'm going to do something through you, Israel, so that all the Gentiles, all the non-Jewish people are going to look in your direction and you are going to shine a light into their darkness. In which they had to think to themselves, that's a joke. right? There's, there's no way we can be a light to the rest of the world. We can't even light up our own lives. And salvation to the Gentiles, are you kidding me? Like how in the world are we going to be part of any salvation plan when we can't even save ourselves? And so almost as soon as the prophecy left Isaiah's lips, the, the Assyrians invaded the southern kingdom and Judah became a vassal state, followed by another 300 years of chaos. And then the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar came to the city, tearing down parts of the walls, destroying the city, sacking the city, and just as God promised to Solomon, Solomon's temple was destroyed. The best and the brightest, the royal citizens, the, the most important citizens of the country are then carted off into captivity. And then again, right in the midst of the chaos, God sends another prophet, the prophet Malachi. And his words, as we read them again, they must have just been thinking like, you're just trying to encourage us. Like, have you ever had somebody that you try to give a good word to, but they keep getting like a set of bad cards handed to them? Like they keep getting beat up, knocked down over and over Right? They're, moral, they're, they're demoralized, defeated, and hopeless. And you're trying to tell them, better luck next time. It's all going to work out. You know, but you know, the things that we say to our kids, like when things go wrong or your spouse, but behind, the, you know, behind closed doors, you're like, please, God. Like, please, like, I hope so. I hope so. That's what these prophecies sounded like to them. There was no traction. There was no reason in the world for them to believe any of this. And they certainly couldn't believe that it was coming from the mouth of God. More than likely, they thought God has forsaken us or that there is no God. But here's what God said to the nation during this difficult time through the prophet Malachi. My name, talking about the name of the Lord, will be great among the nations. To which they thought, no, it won't. Right, your, your name is being mocked among the nations. Your name, the name of God, is a joke among the nations. Nobody looks at us and thinks we want to worship their God, right? From the standpoint of other nations, our God looks weak and pathetic. There's no way in the world that your name is going to be made great among the nations. We can't feed ourselves. We can't protect ourselves. So come on, right? Just, just stop with the empty promises. Drop the hype. Because the truth is we're never, ever going to be blessing any other nation. And the name of our God is not going to be made known throughout the nations. Maybe the name of Zeus, but not God. Right? And had they known better, they would have said, and buckle your seatbelt, because Alexander the Great 
is about to unify all the Greek city-states, and he's essentially about to become king of Greece and ultimately the king of the surrounding major cities and influencers of the world. The name of Alexander the Great is certainly going to be known, but not the name of our God. But Malachi wasn't finished. And he said this, My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, anywhere, any place people are worshiping, there will be somebody there who will be worshiping me in my name. But this had to fall on deaf ears. Like, how could they listen? Like, at this point, how could they trust? Right? They'd been overrun by Assyria, by, by Babylon, by Persia, and now the Greeks were coming. And then to add insult to injury, in 36 BC, Rome sent Pompey, who history would, would, would call him Pompey the Great, to the area of Judah in Galilee. And he would, he would pillage and attack village after village, town after town, and eventually would end up outside the walls of Jerusalem. And he would, he would breach the walls of Jerusalem and conquer the city and annex it into the Republic of Rome. And history would tell us that that as Pompey was inside the city, he actually would ride his horse up the temple, up the, up the temple mount, which was an extraordinary offense to all the Jews, slaughtering priests along the way to go into the temple vault, the, the place where, where every temple of every pagan land would have this God vault. And if, you, if you're a Christian, you'd kind of know it as the Holy of Holies, right? The place where people would keep their, their God, their idol, the representation of their God. And on certain fest, you know, festival days and certain times of the year, they'd roll out their idol to be worshipped. And so Pompey is apparently really wanting to see who this great God is that the Jews have fought so valiantly for. And so he walks into the holies of holies and rips open the curtain and looks around to an empty room because the Jews have no idol. There is no image of their God. The Jews had nothing to worship. And, and from a Roman perspective, what a silly small, pathetic religion. And so began the Roman occupation. The Roman occupation of what we would call the Holy Land of Judea, Judah, and Galilee. And so in fact, God was partially correct. Right? The descendants of Abraham would in fact become a nation, but, but the rest of his promise to bless the world, it, it would have ended there. Because there's no way that Israel would ever become a light to the non-Jewish people, the, the Gentiles. There's no way that the Jewish God would be worshipped throughout the world. Maybe Jupiter, but not Emmanuel. Because nobody's interested in the God who can't take care of his own people. Right? And this is what makes the story of Christmas so remarkable. Because when things were as low as they seemed, when it was as dark as it seemed, when God's promise to Abraham was as far out of reach as possible, the Apostle Paul, looking back, trying to put this whole story to get together later, would, would write it this way. When the set time had fully come. In other words, when God had everything just the way he wanted it an expanding empire, a common language being exported, right? a common culture, a highway system that the world had never seen, a port system that the world had never seen that was connecting all the major hubs around the Mediterranean rim, the peace of Rome, 
right, where peace had been made between nations that were once at each other's throats, there was finally at last a mechanism, a way for God to get the world's undivided attention and to export the message that was ultimately going to bless every nation and every people on the planet. When things were just the way God wanted them and everyone else had lost hope and no one was even beginning to dream that God would fulfill his promise to Abraham, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And the virgin's name was. And we all know her name, don't we? This month, all around the world, people are going to be celebrating her story, the birth of Jesus. And they're going to know this story, and they're going to know her name. And the virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And you have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. And he will be made great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And here's the clincher. Because this couldn't have made any sense to Mary at the time that this was given. And his kingdom will never end. So in the end, God did complete his promise to Abraham. In the end, God did exactly what he promised Abraham. That through Abraham, every single nation in the world would be blessed. And as it turns out, all the nations would be blessed through Abraham. That Israel would in fact be a light to the Gentiles. That from that part of the world, God would send his sent his son Jesus, and through his life and his teaching, through his death and his resurrection, that part of the world will become a light. And every year, tens of thousands of people from all over the world are gonna go to that place to visit where the light first began to shine. And so the Jewish people, in fact, became a light. In fact, most of us in this room listening to this would be the Gentiles, and, and, and who is it that we worship? A Jewish savior. And in fact, that the Jewish God would be worshiped throughout the world because the God that Christians worship is the God of the Jews, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, which, which is why the Old Testament scriptures are so precious to us. The reason that people decided to combine the old Jewish scriptures with the New Testament documents is because the Jewish people, the Jewish history, was the cocoon that birthed the light of the world, the savior of the world, the savior whose kingdom would endure forever. And the thing that makes the Christmas story believable is the fact that no one could have made up this remarkable story. No one could have come up with this. It was being written as they were living it. And it stretched out from, for over so many years that, that the silver lining was not always evident. And they lost track of it. They lost sight of it. But the entire time, God was behind the scenes. Getting things ready. Getting the world ready for the thing that he ultimately decided to do when sin had entered the world. 
And we find that the Christmas story really did begin 2,000 years before the first Christmas. And the Christmas story continues to unfold 2,000 years later. So who needs Christmas? The answer to this question is really simple. God decided that the world needed Christmas. And he would work out the Christmas story on the stage of the world involving some of, the, some of history's most significant people ever who would become a footnote to the birth of a Jewish carpenter who would ultimately change the world. That through him, the Jews would become a light. That through Jesus, the Jewish God would be worshiped all over the world. That, that through Jesus, salvation would be brought to every nation, everyone, everywhere. And this is where the Christmas story collides with our world because through Christmas we're reminded in the most remarkable way that even, that even is when God is active, or whenever it seems like he's not active, that he's working behind the scenes, that when God is silent, that he's not still. And it's a reminder that even when circumstances seem contrary to what's going on in your world, that there's no possible way that God cares for you, that, that he's looking out for you, that he's got your back. We're reminded that our heavenly father keeps his promise. Because why Christmas? Because the world needed Christmas. The world needed hope. The world needed the light of the world. Let's pray. God, today we, we thank you for the Christmas story. We thank you for reminding us, God, that, that you are working things out on our behalf, behind the scenes at all times. That even though, God, when it seems like the promises that you've made are distant and, and, and they're not near, God, that you are close to us, that you are a personal God, working things out for our good, for our benefit on our behalf. That even, God, when we when we mess up and, and jack things up, that you are there to try to smooth things over and bring us back to you. God, help us to remember that you are the promise maker and that you follow through with what you say. In your name we pray.